Hi there, it's Ryan here from History Happened Everywhere. Just want to apologise for the audio quality. The judge seemed to have technical issues this week, so do bear with us. We'll be back to normal soon. History Happened Everywhere. The verdict. This is our after-show podcast where we look back at the most recent episode, Procrastination in Benin during 1850 to 1900. So if you haven't listened to that, go back, check it out, or else you will encounter spoilers ahead. Hey Siri, what's the spear of snakes called? I found some web results. I'll send them to my I don't want you to send them to my iPhone, I want you to tell me. Hello, I'm Pete Goddard. I'm here in the studio with the wonderful, the debonair Ryan Weir. Hello. And as ever, we are joined by the delightfully deranged Paul Dursley. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Yeah. Good afternoon, Mr. Paul. <laughs> I feel like we should sort of do that sing-songy good afternoon, Mr. Mr. Dursley. Like you do in school. Do they still do that in yeah. schools? Yeah, let's try it. Judge Dursley, ready? Okay. Good, good afternoon, Judge Dursley. That was quite good. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we've both been to school, it, it seems. It did not, however, elicit any response from our stony-faced judge. So perhaps we should proceed. And less procrastination, one might say. So, obviously we're here to discuss last week's episode. We are. I'm here, you're here, and yeah. Dursley's here. But I can't for the life of me, Ryan, remember what on earth we talked about. That's really strange. I thought visually it would have seared itself in your memory. I took a blow to the head midweek. I can't remember anything. So if you could just remind me in a very short period of time in some way. Okay, I can totally do that. When do you want me to start? Mm, now? This week I had a difficult subject to discuss, so I did everything I could to avoid having to talk about it, including making some of Benin's national dish, the deep-fried peanut butter snack known as Cooley Cooley. We washed down my pitiful baking with some refreshing mango juice before getting to grips with some real-life pythons who joined us in the studio courtesy of our pals at Tom's Talking Reptiles. Eventually, I have nothing left to do but to talk about slavery. So we dive deep into the dark centuries of Benin's history, learning about the industrialised practice of exporting slaves to both Europe and the Americas. By way of an example, I told the harrowing story of Kazula, the last slave in North America. Finally, Peter and I discussed the shared responsibilities for slavery and reflected on the fact that the horrific practice is still an ongoing issue across much of Africa, with a need for people of all creeds and colours to come together and help the 9.5 million men, women and children who are all victims of this crime today. Last week's episode done, summarised nicely, nice one son, now we're over to a young Dursley who's gonna tell you what he thought of me, he'll take you apart without any care, he's the lovely Paul Dursley, the lovely Paul Dursley. Excellent. It's all come flooding back to me now. I recall everything perfectly and what a wonderful episode, in my opinion, it was. It's difficult to say I enjoyed it because obviously the subject matter is so difficult. It's not like, oh, what fun we had talking yeah. about the horrors of slavery. But uh, I personally found it both enlightening and informative. But my opinion is as nothing. The main man here is Paul Dursley. So, Paul, Benin in general. Uh, have you been in Benin? <laughs> no, I, I've, I've, I've not been there or, or, or any of that part of africa did ryan and this might be me fishing to make him lose some points did he send you any of the delicious peanut treats well if he had i would have been very unhappy are you allergic to peanuts i'm not allergic to them but i cannot eat them it's it's odd it's odd uh i've got what people with a peanut allergy should have if i eat peanuts i have to spit them out because they are so bitter to me and that's why i didn't send you any that's why you confidently say that now <laughs> 
That's <laughs> why the package that sits on my shelf waiting to be taken to the post office shall remain there. But they are delicious. The, the snack was delicious. Uh, obviously, for reasons Ryan has given, he didn't send it to you, Paul. Mm, obviously, for your health, own benefit. Health but peanuts are a very dense, sort of energy dense material, aren't they? Most 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 nuts are, yeah. So uh, it's quite a good uh, sort of nutri- nutritional snack, isn't it? Having a nice little peanut bar fried in peanut oil. I can imagine that was uh, tied you over in times of hardship. Yes, I, I, I should think that that'd be quite not that horrible peanut butter stuff, which is, oh, I have to leave the room when someone opens that tin of that. It's so disgusting to me. I, I, I literally have to walk out of the room because that smell makes me gag. It's funny, isn't it? Because we were talking about smell in the last episode, and I wonder what it is about your nasal receptors, which somehow interpret that chemical as being You're going to get kind of danger signals, aren't you, where everyone else is getting delicious toast? Mm. Well, as I said, um, you know, people with peanut allergy should be getting these danger signals, like you, you smell peanut butter from 10 yards away and immediately have to leave the room. <laughs> yeah, Maybe that's, that's right. what we have to do. Uh, we have to splice Paul's genetics into other peanut allergy sufferers. The other, the other thing that interested me in your sort of general tour of Benin was this notion of the Grand Popo, was it? The mm. beachhead, if you will, <laughs> yeah. that uh, poked out in the neighbouring Togo, if I remember rightly. And I was not really clear how it happened, so I looked it up uh, mm-hmm. after the event. I looked at it on the map, actually, as well. It's incredible, isn't it? Like, when you look at it on the map, it really is just an entire slice of beachfront that right. they've just carved out for themselves. Yeah. And I, I understand why now, though, because I looked at it, and it's quite evident that somebody, you, you almost, you feel like somebody who hadn't seen the map mm-hmm. had agreed to say that the, this river kind of wiggles down vertically, if you will. Yeah. And you can imagine someone said, well, everything on the left of the river is Benin and everything on the right of the v- river is Togo. Mm-hmm. But what they didn't realise is that river takes a sudden 90 degree turn and then <laughs> runs parallel to the coast for that entire piece of Grand Popo. Yeah. And it's, again, left of the river is, it's a sort of natural boundary. It's not just an artificial line, which is kind of what I had in my head. Oh, I see. It's the river itself that just runs parallel to the coast and then dips dips to the end, giving them this extra little expanse of coastal region. Uh, and I measured it. I, I measured it on Google Maps and it was 780 metres across and it's uh, the apparently thinnest So point. That's, half, that's, that's half a mile. And how wide was the river? Because as I understood it, the river was hardly a river. Oh yeah, no, it was it's only a little, like a little no. stream. More than no, I'm just thinking about how little there is of Benin if you live in that bit <laughs> before right. you hit Togo. Yeah. <laughs> so is there a road along it or? There's a few hotels. It's quite obviously been developed as a tourist, tourist destination I guess that's certainly what I was getting from it just the, the suppose, yeah, they, maps it, analysis it, it could be isolated from the rest of the country quite easily couldn't it so you could have it as a, like a little tourist colony yeah Popo is slang for police in youth speak these days isn't it is it Popo yeah Popo is what, was what I used to do when I was a child <laughs> 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 so the grand grand popo though it's it's an interesting one isn't it because uh, as a country you'd think that togo would Because when you look at it on a map, it looks ridiculous. It is absurd, isn't it? It is absurd. It just shoots out like 21 <laughs> kilometres in this very thin little jaggedy line. And it's the nice bit. It's so <laughs> the nice bit. But 
Yeah, there, there is the opposite of that, where you look at some states in the United States that are, they look square on a map. Obviously, they're not square, but uh, then mm. you have straight edges. And, and often that's stupid as well, if you get a river that just crosses it and then goes back out again. So mm. you, it, it can be silly in both ways. I guess it has the merit of being a natural boundary. It is literally a river that it wheels across, yes. isn't it? Yeah. But of course, you get rivers do change course over time, but that, that causes a quite a few wars if a river changes course you know the, the country to, to which it changes course into its favor of course always says well that's how that's how it happens and the country that it veers away from that makes smaller they're not very happy about it well no quite right you don't you'd understand that I, I wonder how many other areas there are in the world where countries boundaries have just been drawn out by a, the, the, the more aggressive country just going well we're just going to have this bit the really nice bit or the bit with the gold mine, or the bit with, you know... That is the tale of most nations, well, isn't it? Yeah. That, 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 the, the word there is Africa. Basically, if you look at Africa, all the nice bits the British got and all the crappy bits the French were left with. They got the desert and we got everything else that wasn't desert. And let's not forget, the Africans got none of it. <laughs> The thing that I took away from it was that it has a dark element to the country, from the voodoo to slavery. But that voodoo is Christian, isn't it? So that voodoo would have come in through Christianity, because voodoo is Christian. Don't think it I is. I think you're thinking of Haitian voodoo in particular, which kind of yeah. combines Catholic elements. I think the source of voodoo. Oh, am I okay? Have I got the wrong end of the stick there? Different voodoos, yeah. So it's sort of separated out, but it originated in the Kingdom of Dahomey as it was then. I, see, I didn't, I didn't realize this, but voodoo or vodon is the national religion. That sounds like something out of one of your science fiction things. Vodon, yeah, yeah that planet was where vodon. my head went actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it is a spiritual world. It's led by a supreme being called Mahu, and this supreme being has 100 spirits, a bit like Greek or Roman mythology. These are these are spirits or, or voodoos, vodons, and each represents sort of a different phenomena. So you've got like a, a deity of war and blacksmiths. You've got the deity of illness, healing, and the earth, which is Sakpata. Uh, you've got storms, lightning, and justice, which is heavy also, um, or even one for water, uh, Mamiwata. Mamiwata? Um, yeah. Easy one to remember. Yeah, yeah. This, I've got the sense that this would make an excellent Marvel team-up kind of superhero group derived <laughs> yeah. from these characters. That'd be amazing. Absolutely. Why not? Right, Marvel, we heard it here first. We'll take our 10% when you the make a bajillion pounds on the voodoo pantheon. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and look, these gods are asked to sort of intervene on behalf of ordinary people. They make sacrifices in order to sort of appease these deities. But this isn't about sorcery. This isn't about black magic. The imagery that we have in our Western minds of pins in dolls, that sort of thing, that's not this voodoo. I think that's all to do with the James Bond film, isn't it? So I do know a little about this, actually. So this is actually, that is more what you find in the kind of Haitian or New Orleans kind of area. I went to a voodoo museum in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that, the experience of slavery meant that you had things that originated in West Africa frequently then getting combined with or expressed through imagery that would be acceptable to the white slave owners so that they could still continue their customs and traditions but dressed up in an acceptable manner mm. so they could uh, continue to worship in a way 
way that would have been prevented had they not merged it with Christian iconography. So I think the sort of voodoo that we think of is that more transplanted hybrid voodoo that that includes that yes. Christian Catholic element. Which makes sense why it would then be incorporated in more Western media. Yeah, those would be the ones you see, right? But in terms of the Kingdom of Dahomey and uh, the Republic of Benin, people use voodoo to sort of seek help on you know a variety of issues like uh you know if you've got a disease or if you're looking to find a job or you want to complete a business deal voodoo is your way to appeasing your gods do they have curses in it as well so you might want to sort of curse pete never to get a good score again not curses but poison so i might want to poison pete i don't know if i didn't <laughs> drink up pete <laughs> suddenly eyes this frothing glass suspiciously <laughs> a glass of venom in fact yes indeed well we'll come to that but first, I'd like to talk about another semi-universal, which is snakes or fear of snakes. Mm. It's a very common fear, isn't it, snakes? Now, yes. I, as you probably heard, really enjoyed meeting those snakes. I thought they were absolutely lovely and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed every moment of the experience. I'm not sure Ryan was as keen. <laughs> I was less keen. I, 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 I was apprehensive. I wasn't frightened of them, um, but I was apprehensive, especially the big one, the nine foot long one. That's reasonably rational fear, I think. <laughs> he could have squeezed you quite comfortably to death. The thing that I found quite disturbing was the colour of it, the large one, seeing the picture of it. It did look, There'll be no one, yeah. It did look like a sort of, you know, it looked like it was made of white chocolate, you know, that sort of sickly, yellowy, creamy colour. That's exactly right. That's what that is what it looked like. Yeah, well I I, I find it interesting that it's almost like there are people who are afraid of spiders, myself, and People who are afraid of snakes, and they—you seem to be like one of the other, one or the other. Almost, it's like you can pick a camp, and that's going to be you. Mm. Uh, me, I'm, a, I'm I'm okay with the snakes. I'm I'm positive. How are you with them, Paul? I'm okay with both of them. I would probably think that I would be more wary of snakes. If I were to encounter a snake in this country, I would not necessarily be that frightful of it. I know what an adder looks like, whereas I know that mm -hmm. all British spiders are harmless and they're more afraid of you than you are of them. What if it was 1912 and you found the longest reticulated python ever recorded at 10 metres long? It didn't come up the lavatory, did it? Because you hear those stories of them coming up the lavatory through the U-bend. That's right, you do hear about that, and that's creepier than anything, really, sitting on a toilet and a, a snake coming up and, and joining you. I don't imagine the snake is delighted about the experience <laughs> either. I was just no. climbing through a toilet, minding my own business, and then suddenly I encountered a human bottom. Yeah. Well, rats come up through the toilets as well, so my guess is the snake was looking for rats, right? Well, that, but they could have thought I'd found a mate, of course, if it was a man. <laughs> Do 
just reminded me of something that he we were talking about, which was the the Disney movie, the um, Jungle Book. He mentioned that in the book, the Jungle Book, the snake is a kind of a mentor character and a generally positive and splendid fellow. But in the Disney movie, they've changed him into this treacherous hypnotic serpent. Yeah. Would you have felt as comfortable with a with a venomous snake as opposed to a constrictor? Absolutely not. That would have scared me a lot more, a venomous snake. Right. Okay. And is that because of their unpredictability? Yeah. I think the venomous snake have a defensive behavior as well. So if I go, bah, at a snake, it would be perfectly natural and understandable for it to fang me. Mm-hmm. And then I'd be poisoned by a snake. Whereas a constrictor seemed a bit more chill about life. And if you went, it would run off rather than go for you. But, but the constrictor is more of a torturous type kill, isn't it? You know, it does it slowly, whereas a venomous kill is generally quite fast. Well, actually, so I did do a little bit of snake finding. So Florida has the Everglades with alligators and such, but they also have pythons now as well. Specifically, Burmese pythons seem to be the big one, but they also have ball pythons, which was the one that you were holding. So are these escapees from people who bought them as pets? That's exactly right. So they were imported and people just sort of couldn't handle them, couldn't get, they got to a size where it was, or just didn't want them anymore. And so just let them loose into the Everglades, considering (laughs) that just letting them back into nature would be the appropriate thing to do. But unfortunately, what that's done is it's just devastated the wildlife of the area. Small mammal population. Small mammals, exactly. 97% of all mammalian creatures have been wiped out, they estimate. So a Burmese python converts about half of the weight of the animals it consumes into its own body mass. So let's say 12,000 pound snake could represent about 25,000 pounds worth of wildlife that it's consumed. That's about 12 and a half tons of animals that that one snake has taken out of the wildlife chain. That's a huge amount. That's an amazing ratio, isn't it? You know, I'm, I'm glad we I'm glad we don't hold on to half of the food that we eat. Well, how much do you reckon we do? Probably not that much. So if I ate a steak, how much of that is discarded and how much of that is absorbed? I wonder. Research says humans assimilate between 10% and 80% of the food we eat, with the average somewhere between 40 and 60%. How much is assimilated fluctuates based on whether the food is raw or cooked, how much it is chewed, the type and density of the food, the amount of enzymes present, the health of body organs and intestinal flora, as well as things like emotional state and stress level. Carnivores like snakes absorb the most amount of their food, with grazers like cows assimilating just 20-40% to of plants and grass. Thank you. It's open season in Florida because of the scale of the problem. And they set up a thing called the Python Challenge, which started in 2013. And the public were just invited to go out and hunt as many snakes as they could. 1,500 people turn up every year. But the results are so bad that the state hired 25 permanent full-time snake hunters. And I was thinking, how do you fancy that job? Full-time snake hunter. You could go out into the Everglades. You get minimum wage. You get a bonus of $50 per snake plus $25 for every foot beyond four feet. So how do you fancy that? A snake don't have feet.
But if you become a snake hunter in Florida, you're about to get access to a few more technological treats, including heat sensor drones, pheromone traps, and also snake hunting dogs. Okay, the, none of that is relevant, Ryan. The question is, what is the outfit that you get supplied as a snake hunter on day one? <laughs> yeah, I'm guessing something Indiana Jonesy. I'm thinking wraparound shades and uh, snakeskin boots, obviously. That's right. got to be uh, the start of a team. Right. A whole snakeskin. <laughs> <laughs> oh I'm just thinking Joe Exotic for some reason. <laughs> the Snake King. I'm going to make Paul Dursley into our snake hunter. Anyway, enough procrastinating about snakes and peanuts and coastlines. We need to talk about slavery. Yes. <laughs> Are you a keen slave owner, Paul? I've never had any slaves. That's encouraging. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I do have a cleaner, but she's certainly not a slave. What I found alarming about your story was you, you can have a discussion about how did people perceive slavery when it was legal. But what we were telling was a story of somebody who came and enslaved somebody or took some enslaved people and put them on a boat and evaded the authorities because it was illegal, knew full well that everything they were doing was illegal and still did it. And that's, you know, you can discuss all you like the mindset of people in where it is generally accepted that slavery is a thing but that was not the case at all at this time it was illegal it was been it was declared a moral wrong and for 50 years yeah exactly it wasn't just like oh, the other day this changed if they, if they were less than 50 years old which i think they were they were certainly infants or not yet born so their whole lives this had been a crime yeah and yet they still thought you know what i'll do this and do it for a bet as well it's like sort of worst kind of trading places probably it was to do with their upbringing their parents no doubt would have been slave owners they would have come come off worse out of it and you know you always hear about your parents moaning about how things were better in the good old days etc etc so it may have rubbed off on them and you know people uh, a number of people are just criminally minded uh, and mentally deficient mm-hmm. in that in that sense. You know, people are people, there are criminals, and you know we, we we also have to look at this from the other side of you, you know in the sixteenth, seventeenth, and eighteenth century, there were a lot of white people who were totally against slavery in any shape or form, and you do hear about. You know, people refusing to have sugar because it came from it came from slavery. I know it's a very minor yeah. thing to do. There always have been people, and it's you know, it's politics. When it's expeditious for for a politician to change it, because most people are become against something, mm-hmm. whether it's slavery or drink driving or smoking, then politically it's expedient to decide to change your mind on it. I think it's partly that, and it's partly in the same way as dying in World War One was no worse in, at its core than dying in any other previous war. But it represented a sort of dehumanised industrialization of war that made it particularly horrific. 
And I think there is a dehumanized industrialization of slavery that took what was you know, something that no one would want to go through anyway mm. and made it all the more horrifying, partly because of the accoutrements, partly because of the scale, partly because of the, the treatment, and then throw the racism on top. And you've got one of the, as you said, great crimes of the human history. I've, in terms of the time period, 1850 to 1900, it really was a the core time because it was the end of the kingdom of Dahomey and the end of, of the transatlantic what, slavery. The end of that period. Of, <laughs> yes, at the end of, the yes, end that, of that period. period of slavery, yeah. So in terms of time period, it was absolutely spot on, I think. Like we would have still covered a lot had we gone back several, you know, even a couple of hundred years ago, you know, we would have been able to talk about some very similar things. But it was fascinating to me to see that last period of it and how it all like still kept going despite all of the rules and laws that were set out despite the royal navy boats in the water off the shore trying to stop people coming in illegally because trading. i think there's always going to be a challenge when there's an economic incentive right people made a lot of money with slavery and simply saying it's wrong you know we've said that dealing drugs is wrong but people do it because there's money to be made whenever there's money to be made the effort required to stop that thing from happening has to be greater right it's it's i remember one of the i can't remember yeah there's there's also the inertia of people it's what i've always done why should i change what i've always done just because it's the current fad for example and that desire to not change is going to be all the stronger when changing means you will be materially worse off exactly yeah yeah I can't remember what I was researching, but it, it said the evidence that there is a law against something is not evidence that it doesn't happen and that we all agree it's wrong. It's evidence that it does happen and it requires something to be stipulated to prevent people from doing it. Because we don't have laws against hopping around on Sunday because it's just not something people do or occurs to people. We only have laws against things that people actually do. So the existence of a law, even if it's one that everyone professes to agree with, that it needed to be written down and enforced, implies that it happened. <laughs> they act to mitigate human nature, don't they, the laws? Because what, will, what always happens is people always push the boundaries. It, it, it's almost like an arms race. Uh, and then you change the boundaries again, and then you change the law again. And those boundaries are set that are set by the moral compass of the times. So I think I think that may be the the thing. It, it's set by the it's it, it's set by the compass of the times because nobody today can think slavery is a good thing. And yet people clearly do. There is enough slaves in well, Africa are, today to indicate yeah. that there are people out there that think it is a good thing. Well, good for them. Well, good for them. <laughs> yeah. Yes, good for them. But again, I think. That's the sort of the human nature and, okay, there are laws about it, but probably the slavers and the people who own the, the modern slaves are not really subjected to those laws. They're either wealthy or powerful enough to flout the law. Yeah, absolutely. I can see that. Right. Anyway, so that was slavery. So, Ryan, I think we have come to the end of the line. It's time to step into the dock and prepare to face your judge. <gasps> judge Dursley, are you ready to give your verdict? I'm not sure yet. Do we need to bring you a cup of tea? How may we assist? <laughs> I was just procrastinating. 
He's kept it on theme. Beautifully done. Will the defendant please rise? Your Honour, as usual, may we start proceedings by first asking for your verdict on factual content. You were rather loose on the dates. It was more the early part of the range and just before. So, factual content, your verdict, please. I will give you a... C+. Okay. Uh, Now, Your Honour, let's discuss the matter of entertainment value. Your verdict, please. Um, I think being serious again, entertainment is not the right word. I think some important issues were discussed and discussed well. So I think I will give you a B for that. Oh, nice. It's very nice. Thanks, Judge. third and most important in my mind, the Dursley factor. Your verdict, please. Well, I'm afraid I'm going to have to mark you down a bit on this because you were incredibly rude to those people who brought in the snakes. You never said thank you to them at the end. (gasps) That's true. That is true. (laughs) So, your verdict for the Dursley factor, please. I will give you another C+. That's pretty good, but those are mere amused bushes. The defendant stands before you. Have you reached a verdict? Yes. Well, I would ask, most respectfully, give us your ruling. Uh, it's a B minus. Hey! B minus. Uh, can I ask the defendant for his reactions? Yes, I'm super excited. I think that it was the grade I was looking for. <laughs> uh, I'd like to thank uh, Tom and Trisha from Tom's Talking Reptiles for their help in helping me achieve this grade. I would also like to thank Kasula and the author of Barracoon, Zora Neale Hurston. And that's it. Thank you very much. So that's it for this week. Obviously, we will be back with the next episode, my episode, which is Light in Slovenia in the 1970s. Mm, I'm excited it's for that It's interesting one. that you put you chose such a short time frame. Yeah. You could have chosen any time frame you wanted. You went for 10 years. So I want something really specific. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Having started my research, all I can say is prepare to be disappointed on that regard. But I've got some time yet. Let's see what we come up with. Uh, so that's it. That's the show for this week. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get in touch about any of the things we've talked about on the show or just to say hello, do reach out to us on social media through the website on hhepodcast.com or email us Pete and Ryan at hhepodcast.com. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. And you never know, you might end up featured on a future show. That will definitely happen. If you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, your recommendation throws us out to the wider world and it really helps us bring the show to new listeners. That's right. And if you're on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter, you can find us at HHE Podcast. And if you follow or subscribe to those, you're going to get an alert every time we post one of our little one-minute animated HHE Bites. Obviously, we'll be back with the next episode soon. In the meantime, if you want more, you can check out our back catalogue of episodes, which you can find in your podcast app, YouTube, or the website, hhepodcast.com. So that's it. A huge thank you to the judge himself. Thank you, Paul. And my pleasure to speak to you again soon. And thank you, Ryan, as ever. Thank you. And that's it. I guess all that's left to say is... You've been listening to... So, has the wind got up you? Has the wind got up me? No, far from it. The park was shut yesterday and there were, I saw four trees down. Really? 
One was quite a big one right across the park. But it was it was an old yew tree, so it probably was a couple of hundred years old. So you know, trees have a finite lifespan, that's what and that's what brings lots of trees down the weather. Fish is not my favourite food, I must admit.